Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. The last chapter in this book. You know, there's a journey that Jacob's children, the nation of Israel, have embarked on it and that we get to be witness of through the scriptures. And it's very similar to the journey that goes on in our own lives. We see them given instruction and guidance in the form of Moses, who, who led the people and gave them now a law to, to live by. Prior to Moses, they were families that kind of developed and grew and, and ended up going into Egypt for safety to find food during a time of famine and at that time became enslaved by the Egyptians as they grew in numbers. And God delivered them through the man Moses and as they pulled out of Egypt they wandered in the desert for 40 years because they didn't believe that God was with them and able to take them into the land that we've been reading about in Joshua. They didn't have faith that God was really able to conquer the enemy that was there, provide for them, and so they wandered in there. But we see Moses at that time, and for those 40 years, ruled over them in a sense of guiding them, giving them instruction, keeping them in bounds with the things that they needed to know, not straying. And now Joshua picks up and takes the baton leads them actually into the land of Canaan, which is known as the promised land, the land that God promised to their forefather, to Abraham. And Joshua leading them into this land, leads them into battle to the different places till all the armies that are in the land of Canaan through all the kings, the Amorites and the various kings that were there are defeated. There are no more strongholds that are in their way disperses the land to the different tribes. We see that there's ten and a half tribes basically that are in the land. There's two and a half tribes that are outside of the land. And we, we see that diversity because of uh, the change that took place with the Levites. And we see that Ephraim and Manasseh both had, in a sense, a tribe to go to. And so the land has been dispersed, and now it's a new chapter that's taking place. Joshua led them, and they were under, in a sense, his leadership as the general. And now he's dying. And these are his last words, and they're very similar to what's going to take or what took place in Deuteronomy with Moses' last words. And think about it. If you have carried these people as a burden, in a sense, as your own children. And those of you who are parents know what it's like to have a burden for your children, where you care about them. You know, they move out of the house and you wonder if they're okay. You think about them still, they never leave you. And this nation has, in a sense, been that for Joshua, something that he has taken personally, taken on himself. And as we go through into this, we see Joshua pouring out his heart. What do I want 
to convey to these people before I die? What can I give them? How can I just reiterate how important these things are? And that's what we see. In the first verse, it says, Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Now, Shechem rings a bell to us because in chapter 8, after they had defeated Ai, remember there was a, a struggle because they had sin within them, with Achan specifically, that Ai defeated them and they came before the Lord and God said, you need to clean your act up. You need to get things together so that you can move forward. And don't be afraid. You do that, I'm with you, I'll take care of it. They did that. They conquered Ai and the kings that were surrounding there. And right after they defeated Ai, they went to Shechem, which is in the middle of the land. And there they rehearsed the law that God gave to Moses the blessings and the cursings in this valley where they had the Ark of the Covenant there in the center. And on one side, they had the tribes and on the other side, and one would pronounce the blessings and the other would pronounce the cursing. And here was a, a place that had significance to them. This is a place where they rehearsed the law of God together as a nation while they were still en route to conquer this land. And so... Joshua takes the leaders there, the people there, once again, trying to, to find a place and that would be able to have meaning to them, a, a religious setting, something that would spark in their memories just what this place means. This is a significant and serious moment. And as it says, they presented themselves before God, it most likely means that they actually brought the ark there because to them that represented the presence of God. And this happened throughout Israel's history. On different occasions, they would bring the ark to bear a certain place. And so because we see sacrificing taking place later, it's a probability that the ark was actually there. And so here is a place where the presence of God is here. And Joshua presents these things to the leaders, to the judges who were ruling over the various tribes in the various areas. And he's pouring out his heart to them. In verses 2 through 13, we see the divine personal pronoun, the word I, appear 17 times. And so as Joshua gathers these people, he rehearses in their minds, and we're going to read through it, how God did this, how I, the Lord, did this, how I, the Lord, did this. And, and we really see the foundation that he's laying as he's saying his farewells. It's all about what the Lord has done. It's all about him. Dr. Graham Scroge writes that all Christians have eternal life, but not all Christians have abundant life. There can be life without health. There can be movement without any progress. There may be war, but defeat. We may serve, but never succeed. We may try, but never triumph. And the difference all along the line is the difference between possessing life and experiencing life more abundant. The abundant life is simply the fullness of life in Jesus Christ, 
made possible by his death and resurrection and made real by the incoming of his spirit. That is abundant life. The trouble with so many of us is that we are on the right side of Easter, but the wrong side of Pentecost. The right side of pardon, but the wrong side of power. You see, we can know all these things, but not be experiencing the power of them. We can know that Jesus is alive, be living a life as a follower of Christ, but not have his spirit producing power within our lives and not experiencing abundant life. And what, do we, what does it take to get us to the other side so that we're not just living, but we're experiencing the abundant life, that we're not just naming ourselves with Christ as Christians, but we are living Christian lives. And that's what Joshua takes us into. And let's read from verses 2 through 13. And we'll break it up a little as we go through. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Naor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country to Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. And so he's recounting the origin of the nation, how God revealed himself to Abraham and God called him out and provided the land for him and how God sent Esau so he wouldn't be in the way of Jacob, who, is what, who God was going to use to further the nation. And these are the things that God did. And it goes back to Abraham's descendants, and this is going to come and become important later on. They didn't know God. They worshipped many gods, but God specifically is the one who called out to Abraham and said, I want to use you and make you a father of many nations. And you see, we did not choose him, but he chose us. Abraham didn't choose God. God chose Abraham. God is the initiator, and we are the responders. And so he's rehearsing in their minds, remember where this originated. I'm the one who chose. I called your father, Abraham, to come out. I'm the one who set this wheel in motion. In verses 5 through 7, he goes on and continues summarizing some of the things that happened. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. Again, recounting Moses, who is such a prominent figure in the nation. How did he come about? Well, I called him. Who delivered you from Egypt? I did. 
How did it happen? Miraculously. You came to the Red Sea, you cried out, you were hopeless, but I put darkness between you and them. And then I parted the seas, and then I covered them with the water as they tried to pursue you. You guys know about this. You saw it, and only a few of them actually saw it here. Joshua, Caleb. But the others knew about it because their parents had told them. You guys know about this, what happened. And so once again, he's recounting, I have been with you. From the beginning, it was me. When you needed deliverance, I'm the one who delivered you. When you were trapped, I was the one who rescued you. He continues to recount this in verse 8. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you and took possession of their land. And you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Boar, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Gezergites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from the vineyards of olive groves that you did not plant. Once again, he's telling them all that he did. And now he, he comes to the present where they do have a recollection that is their own. It's not just told to them by their forefathers. You guys know what happened to Jericho. You know how the Lord brought the walls down and all you did was march around them. And at the seventh time with the ark in front of you, you shouted and you blew the trumpets. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon and the walls came down. You know how in the land, when you marched forward, how hailstones came down and defeated the enemies. You saw that it was me. I'm the one who fought the battles. And I wonder, can we reaccount those things that God has done in our lives? Can we look back and say, I remember when the Lord provided for me. Karina and I were just talking today, and I, I was talking to a friend of mine who just started a church in Alabama. And he was telling me, you know, I, I was getting support from the church that I left for so many months. And right when that support left, the Lord provided a job for me. And he's working at a funeral parlor. He's working, you know, I'm not sure what he's doing exactly there. But he, he got this job and he goes, can you believe it? I goes, who'd ever thought I'd be working at a funeral parlor? And then he said, and whoever thought you'd be training dogs? But right when I needed the money to come in to take care of what the church was no longer going to provide, God provided. 
And Corinne and I were recounting this ourselves when, you know, same similar situation happened when the money from, you know, my old job stopped. Then I was able to start getting money as a dog trainer just in time. And then when I had an incident that I won't go into with the guy who I was working for and the training stopped with him, the church was able to supply enough to help support us so that we could continue living, plus the dog training. And how did it happen? God was faithful. And you know what? A lot of things happen. I mean, recently, one of my son's getting married, Jordan, and, and so that's a cost we're incurring, and, and taxes, that's a cost we're incurring. You know, things happen, and we get stretched, and things get tight, and we start to panic and freak out and say, Oh God, you know, what's going to happen? How, how? And then we have to stop and recount. You know what? He's done this. He's done this. And for as long as I can remember, since I have had a family, God has provided for us. We, we have made ends meet. Sometimes we enjoy more and sometimes it's, it's pretty sparse, but God has always provided. And so they're rehearsing, or Joshua's rehearsing these things for them and telling them, you know, you're now enjoying a land that you had nothing to do with. I provided it for you. You're eating grapes from vineyards you didn't grow. And land that you didn't toil, how did you get that? I provided it for you. Now, we, I think of myself and how God has provided for me, and I'm just like, wow, God, you've been so faithful. Well, God was faithful to a whole nation, millions of people. Now, think about this. If God can be faithful to a whole nation, you think he can't take care of you and me? He provided for millions of people, land, to provide for them and their families. He's going to provide for you. And Jesus said it beautifully. Look at the sparrows. They don't plant and, and reap. They don't have to go out and, and gather those things, plant and grow things, and then, you know, pick the fruit of the vines later. But God takes care of them. Aren't you more valuable than sparrows? And consider the lilies in the field. They don't sew themselves together, toil. And yet I tell you that Solomon, in all his glory, in all his riches, weren't arrayed like one of these. And if the flowers that are here today and are cast into the furnace tomorrow, if they aren't taken care of it and just shown God's handiwork in them, how much more is he going to take care of you? Oh, ye of little faith. Don't you see? And Joshua, through these verses, is trying to bring home, it's about God providing. It's about God taking care of. It's all what God has done. It's about him. It's all about him. Deuteronomy 9, verse 5, it says, 
It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This history of God's faithfulness was intended to be a reminder to them of have faith in, faith in him. And when it says there, the, the hornet that went before them, we're not really sure what exactly in verse 12, I sent the hornet ahead of you, except that it is most likely that God himself sent a terror before them. All the nations trembled. Remember, it says that they were a fear because of what was happening. And so God sent all these, you know, this worry in front of them as they would go into these places. They had just, oh no, God took care of it. And that's really what they're trying to, he's presenting to them this. God took care of these things and he's reciting to them what had happened in all these areas. And then in verse 14, Seeing that God has done all these things, what, what, what can I tell you? God has done everything necessary. What, what then do you need to do? Verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the God your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Fear the Lord throw away what Abraham's father worshipped, what they worshipped in Egypt. Get rid of them and serve the Lord. Fear and serve. Now, these are interesting words. Fear the Lord and serve the Lord. Because fear brings up different images to us. But you see, it's one thing to fear something and it's another thing to be afraid. Have you ever gone to the zoo and there's, say, a tiger on the other side of this piece of glass? And you look at this incredible specimen, this beautiful beast that is powerful that could take your head off with a swipe of its paw. With no, it'd be toying with you. But there's this piece of glass between you and him so that you could I saw a picture and it had this little boy sitting there right up against and this lion staring at him and this lion looked like it was gonna if, if this glass wasn't here you'd be gone buddy you see but the boy could go close to this strength and this powerful animal because there was a piece of glass and standing that close you have this awe of you. It's like, ooh, you get the, you know, like, man, I'm standing right next to this incredible animal, or maybe it's a gorilla, and it's just standing right on the other side of this glass, and you've got this feeling of, man, if this glass wasn't here, I'd be a goner. And you have that fear, but then you have the ability to approach because there's that barrier there. Well, you see, God is even more awesome than anything we can imagine. And if we would see him, we would be consumed. No one can see him and live, he told Moses. But you see, we have something between God and ourselves that keeps us from being devastated or devoured, and it is Jesus. Who stands between us and God and, and brings us to him. 
so that we can come now with confidence, Hebrews tells us. Is there fear? Oh, yeah. Because he is an awesome God. But there is also confidence. And so we have reverence for him, an utmost respect, but we have the ability to be with him and to serve him. And so he tells them, don't throw away the gods that your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and instead serve the Lord, verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, in my household, we will serve the Lord. This is a popular verse that's on so many plaques and so many homes. And it seems like me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It seems such a beautiful thing. But you see, this is a moment of decision. This is a moment, and this is where it's so much like what Moses told the people when he was confronting them. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, let's turn there real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. Deuteronomy 30, 19. Moses says, This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we see again, there's the choice that needs to be made. I set before you blessings, cursing life itself. Choose life that you might live. And here Joshua says, you can serve the gods that your forefathers did on the other side of the, the river before Abraham, or the gods of the Amorites here in the land. You have the freedom to choose what you're going to do, whether it be to serve the Lord or to serve them. But you have to make that decision. But for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is powerful because Joshua uses his own life as a credibility source. In other words, this is something I want you to see. This is what I'm going to do. Have you ever appreciated someone's advice on something? Maybe it's someone who knows computers. And you ask them, what kind of, you know, processor should I get? Or what kind of hard drive should I get? Or what's the best, you know, software for this or for that? And you want to know, what do you use? Because you know what you're doing. So if you use it, then I'll use it as well. And that's why they have like on TV, you know, the people who are doing infomercials, you know, use the new power gym. You know, well, me, I used to be a pro football player. Oh, if he uses it, then I'm going to use it. Why? Because, well, he's cool. And I want to use what he uses. Because he looks studly. You know, maybe it'll work for me. <laughs> you knew something I was saying. I'm sorry. 
Well, you have to choose what you're going to do. You can either, and, and you see what Joshua does, <laughs> Joshua chooses to say, this is what I'm going to do. And all the people know that he is a man of integrity. He is a man who has been consistent. He is a man who's carried this nation with him in his heart. And he lets them know that I am going to do this. And are we such people that we can say, this is what I have chosen to do, that our children or our friends or our neighbors or our coworkers will see that, you know what, if you choose that, I'll choose that too. Because they see the life that you're living and they desire it as well. Jesus said, let men see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If they can see our life, do they want to be a part of it? Because they had the choice, what they could choose, how they could live. And he says, throw away those other ones. Serve the Lord. And if it seems good to you to follow after the God, the Lord, then serve him. But if it seems to you good to serve the other gods, then you choose. And he's bringing them to this place now of decision that they have to own their responsibility, that the choice comes down to them, that it's really going to be your choice in this matter. And you have to choose one or the other. You, you can't be on the fence in this matter. And he drives this point home with them. And in the following verses, we see this dialogue between him and the people, and it gets pretty intense. They respond to him in verse 16. The people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Now we see them say the right things. But we, we got a hint already when Joshua told them in verse 14 to throw away the gods of their forefathers. And he's going to tell them again in verse 23, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. We, we see that there's something that's taking place here. And Joshua is aware of it, that there is already a compromise that is going on within their lives. And after Joshua, the man of God, as he's called at the end of his life, dies, we have the book of Judges. And one of the themes that takes place in the book of Judges, as there's different judges ruling over all these tribes, one of the themes that we hear is that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And they lost the leadership. And Joshua is now showing that he is aware that something's going on. And so they say the right things. But look at Joshua's response. After they say, we will serve the Lord because he is our God, Joshua in verse 19 says to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. 
Wow. That's a powerful thing to say. They just said, we will serve the Lord. And he goes, you can't. You can't serve him. What's going on here? Well, he tells us. Verse 20. If you forsake the Lord, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. You, you, you can't live this dual life. You can't do it. So they're saying, we will serve the Lord. He says, no, you can't. You're fooling yourself. You're, you're playing games with God and he's not going to go for it. He, he's not going to accept that. And, and it reminds us of what Jesus said. I mean, if he says... When he says in verse 19, you are not able to or you cannot serve, some translations say. It reminds us of the things Jesus said. In Luke 14, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brother and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's got to be me first and primary. I am a jealous God. I'm not going to share your Devotion with anyone. And if you're going to play games and, and serve these other gods, the gods of the Amorites that are involved with all kinds of sensuality or mammon and money and wealth, if you're going to serve them, you can't serve me. You, you can't live this double life. You can't live this compromising life. You got to choose. You will either love the one or hate the other, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. You can't serve both God and money. It's not going to work. And so what are you going to do? They say, we're going to serve the Lord. He goes, no, you can't. Not like you are right now. And so he's calling them out on the things that are going on in their lives. And you know what? God calls us out. He does. He, he brings to bear, and we're very good at playing games. And I think the worst deception is self-deception. When we deceive ourselves and we think, I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine, but we're living a life that is divided. And we have a heart that is divided. James says that a double-minded man, double man is unstable in all that he does. And so we find our lives unstable because, well, we believe and fall after God unless there's something else that we like more. And then we'll start living for that. Oh, but I'll come back to church on Sunday, but I'm going to go out and do this on Saturday. And we're double-minded and unstable in all our ways. And Joshua says, you can't. You can't serve the Lord. Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. You're going to live like that? You can't. They hear this in verse 21. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away, there it is again, the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. 
And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them the decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. And so there is this time of actually worship, of a decree of the laws, of the sacrifices given. And then Joshua is not just rehearsing these things in their ears, but wants to make it now visual. And so he takes a giant stone and puts it up against the tree. It's almost like you can see Joshua saying, what else can I do to get you to see what you have just said today? and hold you to it. What can I do to call you on the account of these things? How can I hold your feet to the fire? How can I make you understand that if you get out of this, that it's gonna be devastation for you? And it was. The Amorites ended up taking over the nation in about 700 BC. We see that they were kicked out of the land and dispersed. We see about 500 BC again that Babylonians took them and captured them. We see the Romans and their devastation in, in about 70 AD where this took place. We see that throughout history, the Jewish people have been the, the subject of such violence. They were thought to be the 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 ones who were responsible for the bubonic plague in Europe because of their dietary laws, they were free from some of the devastation that took place. And while everyone was dying because of the plague, the Jewish people weren't, so they were accused of being the devil. We know what happened in Nazi Germany. We know what's happening now, the nations that are surrounding them and against them. And God has said, if you forsake me, there's going to be devastation to you. And God is true to his word. And right here we see Joshua. And remember Jesus when he stood and he looked at Jerusalem and he cried out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. That's what Jesus said. And Joshua, whose name means Jesus, is in a sense doing the same thing. He's, he's trying to present to them the need, the importance for them to follow wholeheartedly after the Lord. And if you don't, this is going to be a witness against you. This rock, this tree, it's going to testify that you did not keep your end of the deal. Because remember, a covenant involves two. God does his part, but you need to do your part. And here we see the importance of the decisions we make. There is no loopholes. There is no playing games with God. You will own and reap what you sow. It will come to bear. And your fruit is what you're going to be judged by. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. And a good tree can't produce bad fruit. What's the fruit of our lives? That's who we are. 
And that's for us to understand. If your life is producing junk, guess who you are? You're, you're, you're a bad tree. You need to make some changes. You need to do something to get your life together because your life is telling you what you are. And they're sobering words here. And then verse 28, then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. And I wonder, what was going through this man's mind? As he finally, this is the last I'm going to be talking to you as a people. I, I've poured out my heart to you. I have tried to make it as clear as possible. It's all about who God is, what God has done, and you're staying close to him. If you're not staying close to him, you're going to fade away. He's going to bring devastation. Why? Because he, he loves you. He's jealous for you. He's not going to allow you to go. Uh, Father chastens the children that he loves. Verse 29, it says, After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. Now this is what is said of Joshua. Joshua, the servant of the Lord. What a great epitaph. What a great thing to be said of you after you die. To be, Sam was a servant of the Lord. Man, to have someone say that, what a beautiful thing. And here's a man who's lived a life of faithfulness. And because he lived a life of faithfulness, he affected the lives of millions and led them in a positive way. Because he didn't compromise, because he was an example, because he feared and loved the Lord. That's an example for all of us. What could happen if we lived those lives? Who do we influence? Our children directly if we're parents? But who else? Those we work with, those in our community, we have an effect on those around us. Verse 30, it says, And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Sarah, the hill country of Ephraim, north of the Mount of Gaash. So it says he's got, he got buried in his inheritance. And then it goes on in verse 31, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, and the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And this is an important verse because as long as Joshua was alive, Israel served the Lord. He held them in check. He kept them in bounds. And we see that that's going to change as the book of Judges takes place. When Joshua went and those who were there, the elders who were a part of his regime, if you will, those who were a part of his work, the elders who outlived him, as long as they were alive, the children of Israel served the Lord. They stayed in check. But when they died, guess what happened? The restraints fell off and every man did what was right in his own eyes. We see the importance of people, godly people, in the lives of other people. We see how important it is for a man to live for the Lord 
and how he is able to hold others in account and keep them. What a powerful, powerful thought that is. That our lives could be used in that way. As long as Joshua was there and these elders who were part of him, even though they lived longer, they continued to serve the Lord. Israel served the Lord through that time. And verse 32 says, And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob brought for 300 pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the son, father of Shechem. This beca became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. It ends talking about Joseph's bones and finally the Eleazar, the priest who died. Now, we're going to talk about this Sunday. Sunday we're going to actually have communion and this is going to be one of the focal points. Joseph's bones. We don't know if it was just buried now at the very end or maybe they were buried earlier, but we saw at the beginning of Joshua and the end of Deuteronomy that Joseph's bones were taken out of Egypt. And Joseph told them when he went to Egypt, don't let my bones stay here. When I die, take my bones out of here because I want to be buried in the land of promise. And you see, the book of Joshua ends with this final note. God is faithful. 500 years after Joseph said, don't let me die here, guess what? He didn't. Well, not die here. Don't let my bones stay here because he died in Egypt. But don't let my bones stay here. And God says, I remember. 500 years later, his bones made it to the land of promise. God is faithful. God will accomplish what he says to do, he's going to do. And the book of Joshua is a testimony of the faithfulness of God to do what he, is going, he said he was going to do. And we've talked about this all along. The book of Joshua... Joshua's name being Jesus. There are so many similarities between Joshua and Jesus. Jesus is faithful to accomplish what he said he's going to do. That he will see us through this life into that place where he, we will be with him. That Jesus will fulfill what is necessary for us so that we can be with him forever. Just like Joseph's bones made it from Egypt to the land of promise, Jesus is going to see us through this land into our land with him at that one day. He will see us through. He is faithful. And so may we embrace the things that were taught through this book and recognize that they belong to us. May we abide in the vine, recognizing that unless we are walking and living that life, our lives will not produce any fruit. You see, the problem we have is the same problem that Israel had in the land of Canaan. Their failure to possess the land that was theirs. It's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, about being free from sin but still being held by sin. It is the problem that we will have unless we surrender ourselves completely to God and allow him to be our life. 
to strengthen us, to be a part of our life, and to walk with Him so closely that we experience the life that He is living inside of us. That the Spirit of God would come and quicken us, make us alive, that we would live on this side of Easter and on the right side of Pentecost, not only experiencing and knowing that Jesus is alive, but experiencing the power of his resurrection within our own lives, that we can live victorious lives in Christ and possess all that he has for us, because that's his desire. Let's pray. God, I get, I get the chills thinking and just reading th these final words of Joshua, your servant. And to hear them, they just reverber reverberate with such power in my own soul, God. To hear him crying out to this nation to follow after you. A and I hear the same thing crying out for me to follow after you. To not compromise, but to choose who I will serve and to make that decision to serve and follow after you even as Joshua did. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember. Lord, just as that stone was set up against that tree, Lord, it reminds me of the stone that was rolled away and of the tree that you hung on for us, the memorials that we have, that we can look to and see and remember the covenant that we have with you, the new covenant that is engraved within our hearts, God, that we would live lives for you, sold out for you, so completely surrendered to you, God. I pray that you would help us to live those lives, Lord, that you would continually remind us and speak into our lives, Lord, the things that are necessary for us to hear, for us to remember, so that we would continue to walk and make that choice, that decision daily that we have to make to follow after you. And Lord, in making that decision, might our lives then produce kind of lives that you made in Joshua. Might our lives impact people around us. Might our lives be so filled with you that people would see you, Jesus, within us. That they would see your love, that they would see your mercy, that they would see our faith in you is not shaken by our circumstances, by finances, by sicknesses, by death, by the... the the plagues that this world has, Lord, we stand strong because we have faith in you, the living God, who has been faithful for thousands and thousands of generations and will be faithful forever. Father, may people see you in us. And I pray that these things would just stay within our hearts and our memories, Lord, that we would cling to them, cling to you, who... Lord, you are our life, and we thank you for that. I pray you would strengthen each of us in these things. I ask it in Jesus' name.